The Money Podcast by best-selling author of Money, Rob Moore, dives into how to make, manage, and master money. How to know more, make more, and give more. How to save, invest, and raise money. The Money Podcast is for anyone who wants to make more money in a job, profession, or passion. For money masters and money disasters. They say money doesn't make you happy. Rob says it does. All right, we're good. So um, first off, I want to... Ah, can you hear me? Can you hear me all right? Yeah? Yeah, good. All right. I'm going to do a talk for you about money. Money is my favourite subject. Uh, one of. And the reason being is because most people on the planet have bad associations with money. Now, of course, on the outside, most of you in this room won't because, you know, you wouldn't be in property if there wasn't some kind of financial benefit to you. I get that. But most people on the planet, they have some hang-ups around money. So maybe they feel like they don't deserve a lot of money or people might judge them if they have a lot of money or that, that money is the root of all evil or the love of money is the root of all evil. And all this stuff you hear poor people say. You know, and I have got a lot to be grateful for. And there are people in the third world who have not had the same opportunities we've had. And many of you who've come and fought to be in this country and you know what you've been through, it's been harder for you. Um, but what I will say is that in the first world, you know, in the UK, if you've been here long enough and you've got an internet connection, you have got a fair crack at making money. And I don't really think that there's that much excuse anymore um, for us to not be able to get access to all the information we need to make money. But it goes deeper because if it was just information that made you wealthy, then everyone would be wealthy. Because you just Google, make me a freaking millionaire, and you'd put it on Google Alert, and the money would rain in. But of course, that doesn't happen. So clearly, there is a deeper issue, whether it's cultural, whether it's emotional, whether it's your, your mindset. Because I don't think it's a skill set issue. There are millions of millionaires in the UK. There are millions and millions of millionaires in the world. So it's not a skill set issue. It is a belief issue, a mindset issue. Uh, and so I've dedicated the last 10 years of my life to uh, trying to work out how I can help more people make more money. Now, I started with myself. And it's okay to start with yourself. Now, many of you in this room, you'll be okay with making money for yourself. But I've met a lot of people who have a lot of guilt around money and are just giving it away and, you know, don't feel worthy of a lot of money. And, you know, oh, well, if I have a load of money, people will judge me. They'll judge you anyway. So you might as well be fucking rich. If they're going to judge you anyway, then you might as well put your kids to a good school. I had 14 cars at one point and I am um, decluttered, so I sold a few. And I still have those red ones, you know. And um, my first proper car was a rusty Vauxhall Astra. And quite a few people thought I was a wanker driving that car. And then I got a Ferrari. And quite a few people thought I was a wanker driving that car. And going from that sort of 15, 20 years extreme from rubbish car, really good car, still get judged, kind of a little light bulb went off. Oh, why don't I just do what I want to do? Why don't I just have and be what I want to be if people are going to judge me anyway? So um, I always like to leave people with actions when I speak to you. So 
If people are going to judge you, no matter what you do and what you say and how much money you have and how much money you don't have and what car you drive and don't drive and what house you live in and don't live in, if they're going to judge you anyway, then why don't you think about what you really want and who you really are and why don't you show the world that? Now, you've probably got a lot more refined class and elegance than me. So you probably wouldn't choose the, the cars and houses and watches that I do. Uh, I'm still living out childhood fantasies of Magnum and Airwolf. And a few others clearly are too. I'm not the only one in the room. Um, so, you know, learning to fly the helicopter and, and doing all that kind of stuff. But the great thing about making a lot of money is it's an amazing enabler for you to do whatever you want to do. So, you know, they say money doesn't buy happiness, but I would disagree with that. I would say that money buys you all the things that make you happy. And then, of course, some people will say, well, you know, the best things in life are free. The next best things in life are freaking expensive. I have one thing in my world that is the best thing free, and it's also very expensive, and that's my fiance. The love is free. Everything else, the handbags, are very expensive. And um, I'm probably more baggage and um, high maintenance than she is. But I've learned, I've been very poor, very, very poor. Like credit cards that are supposed to be off, paying off credit cards that were supposed to pay off credit cards. Uh, and then car loans for a car I'd bought and then sold 18 months later for one third of the value and still have three and a half years left on the car loan. So, you know, a lot of people who are poor have never been rich and they're trying to teach you about what it's like having money, but they've never had any money. And there are people who've always been into wealth and never experienced it hard. And, you know, like, I'm someone who's tasted a bit of both. Okay, I was never third world poor, and okay, I'm not a billionaire yet, but I've tasted both. So you may have kids, you may want to have kids. And in Peterborough, if you don't put your kids through a private school, the alternatives aren't great. And the school kind of doubles up as the prison. That's just kind of the way it works in Peterborough. And you know what? You kind of want to get them out to Aundel and Oakham and all the nice schools there. And so, you know, when Bobby was four, we put him into private school. And it's a lot of money for a four-year-old kid. It's like 12 grand a year, and then you have another one. 24 grand a year for two kids who are four years old to go to school. Now, people in Peterborough, they have a lot of kids. So it's a lot of money. But when you see how Bobby loves school, and you can see that the teachers are worth it, and they're good, you realize that that's a great gift to give to your kids. In my experience, a good parental upbringing and good schooling are two of the best things you can do for your kids. And if those are bad, you've got a really bad start in life. And both of those things cost a lot of money. So I'm gonna give you a pro argument for money. I was interviewed today for a podcast and uh, I was asked about money and, you know, the challenge that money is the root of all evil. Well, maybe it is. But money is also the root of all good. 
Did you know that virtually every famous university in America was built and financed by a billionaire philanthropist such as Andrew Carnegie and Vanderbilt, etc.? So all of the universities that are pumping out the greatest students in science and tech and everything else and doctors and everything, that was funded by a billionaire 150 years ago or whatever. And what is Bill Gates now doing? Exactly the same thing. So Bill Gates, who's been pissing us off on Windows since 1985, you know, like that thing, it's just tattooed when you close your eyes. You can say what you want about Bill Gates. I think he's great. You can say what you want about him and his products. But if it weren't for him doing that, he wouldn't have a foundation that's putting hundreds, tens of billions, it may even be hundreds of billions now, to eradicating polio. And there's one big disease, I think it's polio, that was 15 million um, people were um, dying of this disease before the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And thanks to them now, there were less than 50 people last year that died of that disease. And that is coming from a capitalist someone who badly wanted to be a millionaire and loved money and was hungry for money and was unashamedly hungry for money. And then when he was a millionaire, he wanted to become a billionaire. And he's always been a capitalist. And now look what he's doing. And then this other really famous, massive capitalist called Warren Buffett looked at him and went, I like what you're doing. I'll give you 30 billion. Oh, all right, Bill. 30 billion. So... I wanted to make quite a bold statement that money is the root of all good. Everything good in your life has come from money, but everything bad in your life has come from money that's linked to money. Why? Because money is the designated universal exchange of value. It's the way we transact. It is the energy between you and me. You have a great product. I want that product. Thousands of years ago, we were swapping animals. Before that, we were swapping grains. We were swapping bits of metal. We were swapping anything. We used to swap animals' teeth. We used to swap stones. And now we swap, well, it's actually polymer now. It's not even cotton anymore, you know, the new five-pound notes. So it's nothing to do with the thing. It's everything to do with the interaction between the individuals. And if you don't serve me and I don't serve you and you don't sell to me and I don't buy from you, we all die because I need the meat that you've got and you need whatever service I provide. So we're still doing the same thing. So money isn't money. Money is the exchange of value and service and contribution between us. So therefore, if one has more money than the other, one is not greedy. One is contributing and serving more, whether it's higher value or more people. That has to be the case. Now, I'm going to give you a wealth formula in a minute, which will prove that if someone is doing something illicit and I'm getting money out of you, but I'm not giving you you the product and service, that will reverse at some stage. All right, so a quick formula for wealth. So I have a new book coming out in June, I think. It depends on the publishers. And it's called Money. And it does what it says on the tin. So that's a formula for wealth that I created in my um, previous book, Life Leverage. And um, it was kind of weird because I had an uh, an African country want me to come out and do a keynote speech at their their finance global conference thingy. And they've taken this formula and they're using it in their current monetary policy. Um, So it it seems to have some gravitas. And um, I, I wouldn't have known this when I was poor. 
and I've definitely borrowed parts of it from mentors that I've had along the way, as I think we all do. So W, you might want to write this down, by the way, on your phone or on your paper. And W is wealth, so wealth equals, uh, and V is value. If I could just get you to repeat the word, what's the word? Value. One more time, what's the word? Value. value. All right. So I'll give you the mean and the extremes, the average and the extremes. So if someone pays you a tenner and they get five pounds worth of service, here's what will happen. You will immediately have a higher margin and then you'll be found out that your service isn't of value and then you will have to deal with the fallout of that in either complaints, bad PR or refunds and your margin will turn negative. So if you charge too much and don't give enough value, there is imbalance in the wealth formula. If you charge a fiver for something that costs a tenner, initially the client gets good value and is happy, and then you can't sustain your overhead because there's a cost to running your business and you again go into negative margin. So if you charge too much, or you charge not enough, you will ultimately end in negative margin. The way to one, you know, one third of the formula, the way to wealth is to create, give and exchange value. No one will pay for nothing. Someone pays for something they perceive that they will get benefit from. They want things done better, easier, faster, and they'll pay for it. And I'll come back to that in a minute. So the FE is the fair exchange. It's quite linked to what I just said. You provide a value proposition. A car, a house, a property, a course, whatever. In order for it to sustain wealth, there has to be fair exchange. You give too much, don't charge enough. Unfair exchange on you. Overhead increase, resentment increase, ultimately negative margin. You rip someone off or you give, give them a fair price, but you don't give them enough value. Again, you have unfair exchange. So there has to be a fair exchange mechanism in the wealth formula. But notice there has to be an exchange. So sometimes people say to me, well, Rob, why, you know, why are you uh, charging money for courses? It's my favourite one. Because I can create a mechanism of fair exchange. Because people do not pay for the information. They pay for the speed of the information. They pay for the convenience of the information. Could you find on Google everything we teach in our courses? Well, the, the real answer is no. But could you find 80% of it? Probably. And how long will it take you? Years. And how do you even know what to search or where to go? If you don't know what a capital allowance is, and you don't do a commercial property course, and you don't know what to search in Google, there might be capital allowance information in Google, but you don't know what to search. Now, I didn't start, I didn't wake up wanting to do property courses. And I never imagined that progressive property would be more than a 10 million pound a year business. It was a nice little spin-off of buying a lot of properties. But we've proven for a decade that there must be fair exchange.
Otherwise, we'd be gone. Now, occasionally we let a client down. Occasionally we undercharge. Most of the time we undercharge. Isn't that the case, Dan? You don't think so? All right. So, fair exchange. Now, some of you, some people charge too much because they're greedy or they're lazy or they're just naive. Most people, when they start, don't charge enough. There are people in this room that have got good knowledge of property and you're not charging for it. And then there are people at the front of the room who also have good knowledge and are charging for it. So if there's information and value that you have, I encourage you to charge for it. Now, you can imagine what they're going to say on the forums about that. Oh, well, everyone who goes to progressive property ends up becoming a guru. Well, only if you really are one. And I'm not necessarily saying it has to be about a property course. But the thing you've spent your life learning, that has value. You might be in a product business, you might be in a service business, I don't know. But you'll know when there's been unfair exchange. When you look at a client and go, I've already given you a discount, and you're stalking me, and you're pissing me off, and you want everything for nothing, that feeling is you haven't charged enough. And you feel that they're taking too much from you. But you set the price. You can't be angry at a customer for paying the price that you advertised and then it not be enough. My dad used to charge $7.99 for a roast dinner and you could help yourself to vegetables. And he got pissed off when they helped themselves to vegetables. And they'd come back for a second go and a third go and a fourth go. In Peterborough, they starve themselves for a week to come to my dad's pub. And he's charging $7.99 and then he's pissed off with them. Sorry, Dad. So, if you want to give that amount of value, charge more. So that's the fair exchange bit. Uh, and then we have the L, which is leverage. What's the word? Leverage. leverage. So, leverage is reach. It's amount of customers. It's social media followers. It's amount of people on your database. Amount of customers, referrals. You know, YouTube subscribers. It's the amount of eyeballs you get in front of and the amount of transactions you have in your business. That's leverage. So you could have an amazing value proposition. Like you've got the best thing ever. It could be perfectly priced, but you've only got one customer. And in that case, the formula doesn't work. You can't, you can't grow and sustain wealth without enough customers. Now, this can also really bite you in the arse. Because you can have not enough value, unfair exchange, and a lot of leverage. And that is when you get outed. And that is when, you know, customers and clients get together and push back. And that is when you get bad PR. So if you have a problem, the last thing you want it to do is to scale. So this often happens, uh, you know when a business grows too fast? And this was good, and then it grows fast, and then it has a lot of leverage, and this breaks. And then the whole business breaks. So, you know, I, when people used to say to me, Rob, you don't want your business to grow too fast. So you say, yeah, whatever, of course I do. I want it to grow fast. Why would I want it to grow slow? That doesn't make any sense. But I understand what they mean. 
you grow too fast and things break. And then things break in front of more people. And that can, da- you know, instantly that can damage your whole reputation and your business. And you, you think of some big companies, Thomas Cook had, uh, uh, someone die, didn't they? And there was huge bad PR. And if you think about, you know, train crashes and plane crashes, what that can do, especially if it's negligence, if it has vast leverage. Now also, you could have good value, unfair exchange and leverage. I think that everyone in this room could immediately put your prices up 20% and there would be no detriment to your business whatsoever. And people are after, often from me, short, sharp tips and tricks to do better in property and business. You know, cut my waffle, give me some real hard tips. So here is one. Put up your prices 20% tomorrow. Of course, unless I'm your client and do it, you know, when I'm finished being your client. Put your prices up 20% tomorrow. It works. I'll tell you why it works and then I'll tell you why you won't do it. So, let's say that you have a widget that costs a tenner. There is £8 overhead, total cost, fixed and variable, and there is two pound net profit. When you add the price, when you put 20% on the price, that extra two pound is probably 99% profit because the overhead is already covered here. I don't know if you can see at the back. Can you see at the back? Never mind. next month, sit at the front. You have a widget for a tenner. There's eight pound cost in it. There's two pound net profit. You put the price up 20%. Extra £2, it's £12 now. That is virtually all profit. Of course, unless you have a massive increase in marketing cost to do that. Because your marketing cost is probably your biggest variable cost. So simple. By putting up the prices 20%, you've actually increased the profit by nearly 100%. In this instance, you virtually doubled the profit. So why doesn't everyone do that? I mean, Brexit, you've got an excuse now. Apple, I went to buy one of their new laptops and the new cheapy one, like three grand, smaller, tiny thing, three grand. And you read on their website, oh, because of the current exchange rate and Brexit and other factors, we've had to put up our prices. I thought, well, that's good enough for me. I mean, I don't know if you travel, but, you know, everywhere else is a lot more expensive now, thanks to the weak pound. So you've got, you've got the story if you need the story. So, why wouldn't everyone do this? I don't know what, how many, 60, 70 people in the room here? I bet 10 of you don't do it. Why not? Sorry, 10 of you do it. I bet 60 of you don't. Why not? What are your fears? And this is the time for interaction. So let me just check you. What's your name, sir? Roy Bush. Hi, Roy. Nice to meet you, Roy. We've met a lot on Facebook. And Yes. Bingo. I think that's often the biggest fear. You don't want to lose certain customers. But here's the thing. You do want to lose certain customers, the shit ones. You want to lose the customers that want a tenner for a fiver. If you put your price up 20%, will your best customers who love what you do all of a sudden leave? I don't think they will. And I'll give you an example in a minute. What about the sticklers who want a tenner for a fiver? They'll kick off. Well, sorry, Brexit. I'm sorry you feel like that. It's Brexit. I've got no choice. You're more than welcome to leave. Now, here's the thing. The customer that wants a tenner for a fiver costs you 20 quid. The customer that will pay 20 quid for 10 pounds worth of value will cost you a fiver. 
because your best customers, the ones that go, yeah, I love what you do, yeah, I love what you do, love what you do, buy it, buy it, buy it. No hassle, no grief, you're great. You've got virtually no overhead on them because they're not on your customer service every 17 seconds. You know, and, then, and, and it, there's not a problem all the time. So there's ma no, no customer is equal in your business because they all need a different amount of time. Now, of course, it depends on your business. But if you've got a customer, but now here's the great thing. When the more money customers tend to have, the less of a stickler they tend to be on price. Now, it's not always the case. I certainly know some people who are very wealthy and still tight. Where's he gone? He's gone. Um, so it's not always the case. It's always an exception to the rule. Um, you don't want to be doing any bargaining with Mark Homer. You lose. Um, so if you put your price up 20%, your good customers, they'll be okay with it. You'll have a couple of customers that won't be okay with it and they'll leave and all of a sudden your gross margin, sorry, your net margin will go up. Your profit will go up. So I guess we fear the unknown. I hear this a lot. Well, in my niche, Rob, it's a fixed price. Only until someone busts it. So there used to be quite a fixed price in this world. Because do you remember when you used to go and get a phone and you could haggle with the phone company and get whatever handset you want, all those really smart, small Nokia ones that make you look like a drug dealer, and you could get it free on a contract. Show me a hand if you remember that. You're not all that young. Who doesn't have a hand? Let's have a hand. Show me a hand if you must. You do. <laughs> so you used to be able to go to a phone company, negotiate getting a really good phone, and you wouldn't pay for the phone, and you'd just pay for the contract, because they make the money on you being a five or a 10 or a 20 year. So they, they, they're making lifetime client value on you. And then Apple released this, and now people queue to pay 500 quid. Don't know why I said it like that. Clearly, I'm envious of what they've been able to do. Dyson. I remember the day when a, a vacuum cleaner was a vacuum cleaner. And you, you know, most people just used to buy the one that does the job with the shitty bag that looked like a Dalek. And then one day I went over to my mate's house and he works high up in the banking department, the commercial lending department at Santander. He is he's on quite a few hundred grand a year. He's now a millionaire, successful guy. Went to school with him, hadn't seen him for a few years. Just had his first child, bought a really new house. Couldn't wait to see him, couldn't wait to see his lovely new family. Couldn't wait to see his new house. Opened the door before he even said, Rob, how you doing? Put me into his broom cupboard and showed me his new fucking Dyson. Digital. Well, it's digital. Brilliant. 300 quid. Seven years ago. Inflation, that's like a grand now. For a vacuum cleaner. And it's like a fashion accessory. I don't know what it looks like, why I looked so camp when I did that. It's like a fashion accessory. It's not, it's a vacuum cleaner. But Dyson smashed. He changed the rules. You know, like you used to buy really cheap fizzy drinks. And then Richard Reed, who I interviewed on my podcast, made them all innocent. And you got like four milliliters. You go to, you know, thimble. But gum. Four quid. Fuck. <laughs> Sorry, my language. I get a bit ahead of myself. So he changed the way we... Don't record that bit. <laughs> the swearing bit. <laughs> so... Could you be the conveyancer or the solicitor or the landlord or the whatever you are that isn't commoditized? I, oh, we can all only charge £350 for a survey and blah, blah, blah. Could you be the one that doubles the price and doubles the value? Well, of course you could. And what's the limit to that? Creativity, ideas, 
a desire to serve your customers. Now also, if you go into the world of bespoke, or you go in the world of selling to the affluent, then all this price stuff is gone. All this worry about, oh, there's no margin and I can't charge enough and blah, blah, blah. Like if Roman Abramovich is your client and you make boats, you don't have a price problem. You have a sourcing the parts and the ability to build the biggest, because you know, he's currently having built the biggest boat in the world. Now he's not like, I want a tenner for a fiver. He's like, I want the biggest boat. And he doesn't care what it costs. And when you research this, by the way, because I researched it for Life Leverage, it's estimated between 300 million and just over a billion for a boat. But the reason they don't know the cost yet is because it's not finished yet and he doesn't care because he'll just pay for it. And they're not going to be able to work out what the cost is, cost is on such a big thing until it's done. So go into the world of bespoke if you can. Go into the world of selling to the affluent. Like JV Partners, you know, most of you are in property, I assume. If not, what are you doing here? So you're probably looking to raise money from JV Partners. Now, if, you're, if someone is trying to scrape together a deposit and you're trying to piss around with the, the, where the deposit came from with the mortgage broker, well, it's a faff. But if someone's got 10 million or 50 million or 100 million, they'll give you a deposit as a test. And then if that goes all right, there's another 10 or 20 or 30 or 50. And you're in the right place in the country. You know, I obviously have spoken in many different cities in the country and the world. And very rarely do I get to say, you know, I normally say, you know, it's all right for those in Mayfair. And now you're in Mayfair. And you're in the right place with all the right people. Now, if you want to raise JV finance, this works too. So you give the JV partner some value, i.e. you can source good properties. You're a good person to work with. You're very knowledgeable about property. You make, make them a, a fair offer. Now, what a lot of people do in JVs, especially if they're new, they enter unfair exchange because they're, oh, you've got two million quid, your God, I bow down to you. All right, you can have 94% and I'll do all the work. And they just do that. Notice I didn't point that way. So that's unfair exchange. So give fair value, have fair exchange. They can have a percent a month or they can have 50% of the deal. And then of course the leverage is how much money they've got. Now, a lot of people, you know, you can imagine, I've spoken in front of 400,000 people. As you can see, I'm a bit rusty. I don't do so many speeches anymore. But uh, the last, my last full professional year as a speaker a few years ago, I did 250 speeches. Uh, hence the, the voices, pretty fucked as you can hear. Um, and I've completely forgotten my point, what I was gonna say, so, never mind. As you can see, I'm a bit rusty. Leverage, I was on leverage, and I still don't even know what I was talking about. All right, wealth equals value plus fair exchange times leverage. Now, leverage is so much easier now. Ah, remember what I was gonna say, thanks for the prompt. So what I was going to say was, so many people think it's far hard to find money. Oh, you can't do no money down. Well, yes, you can, because I've bought 720 properties that I own or manage, and I started with minus £50,000 in credit card debt. And, and virtually everything you can think of in terms of borrowing someone else's money, or Mortgage Express back in the day, or JVs, or straight loans, or options, or rent-to-rents, or whatever else is, is what I've done to finance deals, because I didn't have money. And there's a massive upside of not having money that most people don't see. And that is your resourcefulness. Because if you've got deposits, you're not resourceful. You'll go, yeah, there's the deposit. You'll probably overpay. You probably won't do enough diligence and research. Because you'll go, yeah, I've got the money. I need some deals. There's the money. When you haven't got enough money, you have to learn harder, deeper, 
You have to go to more events. You have to try harder. You have to ask better questions. You have to network better longer, later. You stay later at a networking event. You get one business card from someone in Mayfair. That card, there could be 100 million quid through that card, but you stay just a bit later than someone else who's got a couple of deposits and is a bit comfortable. So you know what? It's not about not having the money. It's about the resourcefulness, the creativity, the hunger, the passion, the drive, the enthusiasm, the commitment, the consistency. You know, how many PPNs in Mayfair are you going to turn up to? Because if you turn up to two a year and you're telling everyone you're networking, well, you're not really. And getting here when you don't want to and getting here when there's a, what is it? What was her name? Doris. When there's some hurricane. I mean, what happened the one time we were doing the speech? There was 140 people here last month. There was going to be 5,000 this month, but all right, maybe not quite 5,000. So you are only one, so move on to the next point, and then I move on to leverage. I know I'm jumping around a bit here. I'm trying to fit a lot in not much time. So you are only one person away from all the money you need in a property deal. You're only one person away. Because let's say my friend here has one deposit. I think he has one deposit because that's what he's telling me. But no one at a networking event goes, I've got 14 million quid, mate, so, you know, get close. None of them do that. They're like, well, you know, we'll just see how you go. Yeah, you here next month? Mm, yeah, yeah, I'll see him a lot, all right. And, and then, oh, yeah, maybe, maybe one deposit. They're not going to tell you how much money they got. They'll always have more than they tell you. Some of them have less than they tell you, so you have to watch out for those kinds. So I've got one deposit, and I act like it's the best deal I'm ever going to do, and then I've got more. But if my friend here's got two million quid, then everyone around him is probably going to be worth two million quid because we hang around with people like us. So one good conversation. Yeah, Robbie was good. Did a good deal. You know, there were some bumps and bruises, but he looked after me. And then my friend here picks up the phone. So you're only one person away from all the finance you need in any deal. And people are so short-sighted. And don't think about that. And that's why I commend you and applaud you for coming to networking events and getting here early and staying here late and coming back because, because there's, there's a very good chance that you're going to speak to someone in this room and this person or the person through this person. All right, so let's go back to leverage then. So why is leverage easier than ever now? Because on your phone, you can crowdfund deals from crowdfunding websites. You can have thousands of followers on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat and YouTube and LinkedIn. You can set up your own group and you can be the guru of your group. And you can have tens, hundreds or thousands of people in a group that you manage, that, you know, you're the brand of. Do this while you're around and put it on YouTube and put it on Facebook and repurpose your information. You can share what you know and what you do, and it can go across all your social media platforms, and it's all free. I love it when people moan that there's ads on these platforms. They kick off about it. It's all free. I cannot tell you how excited I am to be in business and property right now. I think it's the most amazing, abundant time. Like you can run your whole life from your phone. You can run your entire portfolio from your phone. There's an app for everything you need pretty much. And people say it's, it's hard and they can't do it. So I think the leverage is easier than ever.
But of course, with good comes bad. So if there's some bad PR around you or you're not looking after people, that will leverage. That will go further and wider. So let's summarize it. There are two ways to increase the money you make. It is to increase the price or it is to increase the value so people feel comfortable to pay you more. So a lot of people talk to me and they feel like they're struggling in business and they can't really make ends meet. And you know, they might even say, well, I tried to put my price and it didn't work and I'm scared and blah, 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 blah. And they don't realize that any increase in your business needs to come from you first. Example, let's say you work for someone. Now we have about 70 staff at Progressive in the office. We have about 150 outsourcers. And um, I remember Brian Tracy saying to me once, and this was in 2006, he said, Rob, what most people do when they work is they go to their boss and they ask for a pay rise. And the boss will think, why should I pay you more? You're not worth it. And when he said that to me, I wasn't the boss, I was the employee. And I was like, well, of course I'm worth it. And he said, that's the mistake most employees make. If you want to double your salary, you find the person or the role in the company that earns double the salary and you do the work required to give the value to the company and the company will pay you. So instead of going, hey boss, give me money because I've got a family problem or I've got to pay my bills, which your boss doesn't care about. What you do is go, look what I've done for you. I've just doubled your revenues and I've just given you 200 grand's worth of value. Can you increase my salary? And I tried this and I, I went back to him and I said, well, I tried that on my boss and it didn't work. And he said one or two things. He said, well, either you haven't really increased the value like you think you have, or you've got the wrong boss and you'll get headhunted or when you move to your next role, you'll be able to get that salary. And he was right. So if you wanna receive more money and you wanna receive more fees and you wanna receive more wealth and you wanna receive, receive more rents and blah, 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 you have to start the process by increasing the value you give. So, you know, like people who are far more wise than me might say things like, be the change you wanna see. As soon as you start giving the world more value, it is amazing what you get back. I have definitely found that the world, the universe and people are a mirror of what you give them. I know because I've been poor and I've been better off. I know because I've been a really angry person and a bitter person, an envious person. And then I've also learned better ways. I'm not perfect and we're all emotional and that's okay. And uh, you know, every human being has every trait and I can be just as much of an idiot and make as mistakes as, as plenty of people. The world will give you what you give the world. So a little action step for you, if you're up for it, if you're game, is to start giving more value. Start it now and you will kick start the process of attracting more money. Because remember, money is simply an energy exchange between people. And value is part of the energy. Value this way is energy to you, money this way is energy back to me. But if it's not money, it's referrals, it's good reputation, it's kind comments, it's help in another way. If it's not, it's something, you know, energy has to flow. Okay, cool. So I'll take two or three questions on, the, on money and the wealth formula. I'm here, I'm for you. Charlie, what's your name? Charlie. Uh, everyone say hi to Charlie. Hi. 
Hi, Charlie. You had to check your name badge there, didn't you? Yeah, I did, yeah. Okay, I'm glad you swore. It makes me feel okay about what I did. So what's the tipping point when you're giving value, 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 and you're not getting anything back? Well, it's fair exchange. If you're giving value, 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 and you feel like you're not getting anything back, there has to come a time when you charge for it. So it's probably when you put a fee on it. Now, here's the interesting thing, because you can imagine in the last 10 years, I've had all sorts and everything thrown back about running a property courses and running progressive and coming from two nobodies to the, the UK's largest property training company by a mile. And you can imagine I've seen a lot and people think that training is really good value and people think that training is not good value and, you know, people need it and people don't need it and all these kind of arguments. One thing I have seen undeniably that people who haven't charged for their time and their information would never see is, if I give you information and you don't pay for it, you do not value it like you do if you pay for it. And that's not just an excuse to run a course by the way, well, you know, because I charge, they'll value it. You know, it's gotta be good value. People will value you more when there's a fee attached to you. Now you made a generic statement, so you know, it might not be about doing something free and then making a fee, um, but you wanna put your prices up in line with your value. Now, a great way to do this is just to constantly test. Start giving more value, see how it, you, the response you get, see if it uh, is a good thing for your clients or they start to abuse it a bit. Up the price a bit, sell to some new customers at a different price, do some, it's called price elasticity, do some price testing. Because in any product or service, there is um, a sweet spot. Like Richard Meal, their watch is 110 grand, 150 grand, 200 grand, 500 grand. And, and people will go and buy four or five of them. So it's not about the money. They perceive that they get, you know, one of the best made watches in the world. So keep giving value, see the response you get, start charging. Because you might, the, the, the thing is you might be undercharging, in which case you don't have fair exchange. Any other questions? I'll take uh, two more. I might not, but I'm here for you. I've come all the way from Peterborough. Oh, thanks. Yes, what's your name, sir? John. Hi, John. By the way, it's great to meet so many Facebook friends. I know you're on Facebook, I know you're on Facebook, I know you're on Facebook. This is why I love coming to events. John, I'd say our biggest challenge has been growth. I.e., we've grown pretty fast. We've, we've pretty much year on year done 50% growth. And that's the same as Microsoft. So if we, go, if we carry on the same tra trajectory, because Mark and I started when we couldn't even grow, I was going to say something else, but a beard, I'll say. Um, we were so young. Uh, and yeah, we've pretty much, if you average it out, 50% year on year. So our challenge is the, the pains that growth bring, because both Mark and I want to continually grow progressive, and we're quite aggressive with our growth. You, you, you may receive the odd email from, from, from us. <laughs> oh, you laugh at that one. Yeah, thanks. So, you know, we, um, so our main challenges are fast growth and what that brings. So um, I'm quite a disruptive individual. And just when things are sort of tidy, I'll go in the office and just mess it all up. I'll challenge us to new areas, which are probably quite a risk. I never like to stay at standstill. So um, the downside of that is things can be chaotic in our organisation. And things can be a little bit, um, the, the, the I's aren't dotted and the T's aren't always crossed because we're getting stuff out first and fast. Like our values are progressive, innovative and personal. And we were the first people to run rent-to-rent -rent training in the UK. We were the first people that I know of to run a commercial conversion course. We were the first people that I know of to run a service accommodation course. When the crash happened, we were the first people to bring out trainings on doing joint ventures rather than, you know, you can't do Mortgage Express anymore like everyone else was moaning about. But because we want to get out there first, it's not always perfect. And we often refine as we go and try and get better and better as we go. 
you know, there's a saying, get perfect later or ready, fire, aim. And it's, I think it's better to start than never at all. And they have downsides. So probably the down, our biggest challenge is fast growth and chaos and, and disruption and trying to tidy it all up. Because both Mark and I love property and love business. We love this game. Like, there's nothing I'd rather be doing other than raising the next two world number one golfers, you know, being with my family. You know, Mark's my best friend as well as my business partner. You know, we had dinner tonight and it was just exciting. We're not gay, by the way. Just, you know, um, not there's anything wrong with that. Ooh, Rob. <laughs> um, are you in London? You're very open-minded. Um, yeah, I'm digging. All right. Uh, and it's Mark Homer next. Yeah, all right. Um, yeah, chaos, fast growth, but I love doing it. So, like, even when it's fast and it's crazy, I think, yeah, I love being in this world. You know, it's like, it's where, where I want to be. I love solving problems, especially in this world, because it's the world I love to be in. So, you know, so if there's a problem, I love fixing it. Get in there, fix it. Because most people don't, they're not able to solve problems. They walk away from problems. Whereas I think what Mark and I do quite well, we could always improve, but I think we come in and we fix problems fast. Uh, you know, and I think that's important. Um, if you're doing something that you love, then you know, you'll, you'll kind of put up with it, won't you? Well, I think we're going to see the way money moves change. I mean, we are already because these, you know, there's a lot of digital currency and cryptocurrency. So money's moving faster than ever. Money's moving at the speed of light now um, through fiber optics. And uh, there's going to be a lot more platforms that leverage fiber optics. So you're probably in the next five or 10 years going to see less focus on cash and more focus on individual people can now set up banks. Individual people can set up crowdfunding sites. There's an artist who set up her own digital currency to buy her art off of her. I referenced her in my new book, Money. Uh, and she, she's called it Bitchcoin, um, which I thought was quite good marketing. Um, and, uh, and you know, like, the world has changed. You are, if you have a YouTube, YouTube channel, you are now a TV company. Because there are some people who have more subscribers on YouTube than BBC have people watching the TV. And my podcast has 400 and odd thousand subscribers. Most major radio shows don't get that many listeners. And I've only been doing it 14 months. And someone like Tim Ferriss, you know, has got way more than me because he's been doing it a lot longer. And he's, you know, he has the big world, wide America to, to you know, to, to play with. So you are your own radio DJ. You're your own broadcasting company. So the world is changing where the massive corporation, the BBC and Sky and all these, they're getting totally disrupted. The banks are getting disrupted. The banks aren't dead, but they're getting disrupted. I just think we're going to see more of that trend, which means that the entrepreneur, the individual, the startup, the, you know, the crazy thinker and creator, like most of us probably are in the room, who are, you know, we're here because we want to do something for ourselves, because we want to start something and make something that matters and leave something that lasts. The world, I think, is really set up in favour of us. And the barriers to entry are so much lower and the costs of entry are so much lower now. You can get an app hacked up for a grand. And, you know, and then you can crowdsource all the money from you know, Kickstarter where you don't even have to give away equity. So for me, that's you know, where I see. I, I did, I've done a few podcasts on kind of a lot more detail in the future. I did one with Kevin Kelly, who is um, uh, editor, was editor of Wired magazine. He's a futurist. So he thinks VR, virtual reality, and artificial intelligence, drones. There's going to be a day in five or ten years. Anyone in this room package deals or bought deals from anyone?
Anyone ever bought a house? Okay, fine. So, in 10 years, you will put on your VR headset and that's how you'll view your house. And there'll even be smells. I'm not telling you why I know this, but in Japan, you get very realistic VR porn now. And you get, you get a robot with it. You, hey, John, you know as well, yeah, man. Sorry, I just, but, yeah. but it's getting more and more real. Don't judge me, I'm just researched on the internet. Um, so the point is, the smells, the sensations, soon enough, there'll be a chip in your brain. And okay, maybe now's the time to leave the stage and bring Mark on. But, uh, you know, th this, isn't, this isn't like George Orwell, 1984. This stuff is happening now. In Sweden, there's a company that um, so the staff's optional, can put a chip in there. I think it's their hand or their arm. And they go through all security and they buy stuff and everything through a subcutaneous chip. This stuff is happening. So if you embrace it, now imagine you are the designer and the seller of chips and you're taking money by people just waving their hand at you. You're gonna love that. All right, cool. Um, I think that's nearly me done. Um, I've got my water, so I'm good. So I'm gonna hang about here if you wanna ask me anything or have a catch up or whatever. Thank you.